This is Machine Language, the podcast hosted by Manufacturing Automation Magazine. You've tuned in to hear conversations with industry experts on the latest industrial automation technologies and trends in Canada's manufacturing sector. This episode of Machine Language, a manufacturing automation podcast, is brought to you by Fortinet, which provides solutions for protection, detection, and response to cyber attack from the plant floor to the cloud. Fortinet offers innovation across the entire digital infrastructure, whether in networked, application, multi-cloud, or edge environments. For more information, visit www.fortinet.com manufacturing. Fortinet, engineered for secure manufacturing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Machine Language. I'm your host, Christina Urquhart, editor of Manufacturing Automation Magazine. You've probably spent the last few months adjusting your operations to accommodate COVID-19 safety protocols and to keep your workers safe. But how safe are your networks? Cyber attacks are on the rise this year, as malicious actors capitalize on fears associated with the pandemic. There's been an influx of fraudulent emails containing fake communiques from the government, false health advice, and phony, industry-specific invoices. These emails often include instructions to send money, or contain malware or ransomware. Manufacturers in particular have been targeted with counterfeit calls for medical equipment as hackers leverage the global shortage of critical supplies needed for frontline healthcare workers. Today, I'm joined remotely by Andre Vittorio, president of Ideological Systems, Inc., an IT services provider for small and medium-sized manufacturers located in the Toronto area. Andre was only 16 years old when he founded Ideological and has spent the past 25 years of his career helping manufacturers in designing IT projects, backing up data, securing and maintaining networks, and detecting and responding to cyber threats. Whether it's a suspect email or a more complex attack on a piece of manufacturing equipment, Andre has seen it all when it comes to cybersecurity. So today, he's going to share the tactics that cyber criminals commonly use to infiltrate manufacturing networks, and how certain types of attacks have increased during the COVID-19 pandemic. And by the end of this episode, you'll know about some steps you can take to protect not just your bottom line, but your intellectual property as well. Thank you for joining us, Andre. Thank you for having me, Christina. So you work with a lot of SMEs. How would you gauge manufacturers' cybersecurity readiness right now during COVID-19? Well, I think Canadian manufacturers today are much more aware of cybersecurity than they were 10 years ago. The question really is, are they aware enough at this point? In terms of their readiness, you know, there is a lot of efforts put in to try to shore up cybersecurity, but I think a lot of manufacturers may not know the questions to ask, especially if they don't have uh, an internal staff to lean on. You have to rely on experts. So you wouldn't have your, your shift foreman, for example, be your accountant, and you wouldn't have your press operator necessarily be your lead engineer. So IT is a funny one where it always falls on the lap of either the office manager or the accounting finance manager. And neither of those two are actually trained in any sort of IT, but the responsibility is put on them. If you're not going to have internal IT, which most small business at this point, it's beyond the reach and it's not necessary. There are very good outsources out there, but you have to, uh, you have to find the one that matches with your organization. Cyber attacks come in, in many different forms, shapes, and sizes. And when I speak to a lot of business owners, the misconception they bring to me is that cyber attack equals direct credit card theft. And that's just one of the many. So I think there's a long way that the manufacturers need to go to understand all the different types of uh, cyber attacks or cyber theft or uh, different types of cyber crime that is out there that can affect the organization. So I would imagine what you're talking about then is uh, attacks on factory networks. 
It's uh, attacks on the factory networks, attacks on individual machines, and attacks on trying to get credentials. We've heard a lot about there being some more COVID-19 scams happening uh, during this time. What are some of the common ones that are out there right now? And, and what are some of the things that manufacturers should watch out for? So cyber criminals are having a field day right now because everyone's distracted with COVID. Distraction is something that definitely aids cyber criminals because that's one of the methods they use to try to get you to do something. For example, there's a lot of email phishing exercises going on right now. Basically, COVID-19 government relief emails are coming in, emails with the subject line COVID-19, emails, people selling PPE equipment at wholesale rates, free distribution of PPP equipment. And then we still have our classic reset your Apple ID, reset your Office 365 password. The main scheme or the main method that, that people are trying to get in right now is to trick you into clicking on something in your email. So gone are the days of when people can kick a door open, for example, trying to get into your network by brute force methods. Things are pretty strong right now. So if you think about the doors in your factory, you can put a bunch of locks on and you can put all kinds of deadbolts, et cetera, and you have the key. Well, cyber criminals are trying to trick you into giving them a copy of the key or giving them the key because then it doesn't matter how strong those doors are because they have the key. The way to do that is to trick you into giving up your username and your password. And they're getting really good at that. And they'll do it when you're distracted because you'll click on something to do with uh, you know, government relief. You'll click on possibly PPE equipment and not paying attention that this is actually not coming from the government of Canada or this is not coming from a PPE wholesaler. It's actually coming from a cyber criminal. So when it comes to email then, what are some of the most obvious signs that you're dealing with a fraudulent piece of email? Well, this comes down to where, again, people are distracted and not taking the time to scrutinize an email. So uh, one of the most common ones is using a domain that kind of looks the same, but it's not because they'll either have too many letters in it. So for example, Canada with two N's, if you're not really looking at it carefully, you'll skim by that or Microsoft with you know two F's. So somebody who's in a, in a real rush will glance at who it's from and not pick up on that very small subtlety which gives away that this is not actually coming from those organizations. The good news on the internet is that it's very difficult, if not impossible, to impersonate another company. It's very difficult to impersonate Apple. The only way that you can do it is by trying to trick the user Apple with three P's in it or two L's or a couple of different ways of showing it on the screen is going to trick somebody to making them think that it looks like it's legitimate. Otherwise, what they put on the actual screen, like your email itself, is going to be very hard to decipher. It's going to look and feel like the real thing. The trick is where it's coming from. You need to sometimes look into a little bit more detail where it's coming from to identify these strange domains. So would you say that email then is the weakest link when it comes to cybersecurity for manufacturers or is there something else? Yeah, email is one of the most prevalent and is the easiest to get to. But there's other forms that are coming out as well now where people are using social media to try to get into systems. So it's all about trying to trick people to give up information. And they may not necessarily be your password because most people nowadays are kind of weary of giving passwords out. But if a hacker can get uh, three or four different pieces of information, they can get your password from those pieces of information. So for example, you may have experienced where you know you forgot your password and it's asking you for your mother's maiden name and it's asking you for you know the city your dad was born in these kinds of things so if a hacker can garner enough information they can put together something now that gives them enough information to be able to steal your password we're seeing a lot more now where where hackers are targeting employees and not necessarily in targeting them at their job they're targeting them personally on their facebook accounts things like that trying to gather as much information as possible
So what steps can manufacturers take to avoid falling for that kind of fraud? So we take an SEP approach, it's called systems, education, proactivity. So first of all, systems. So it's very important that things are up to date. So Microsoft, your listeners may may or may not know that in January of this year, Microsoft stopped supporting Windows 7. So what does that mean? That means that Microsoft is no longer putting out any security patches. It's no longer doing anything with that software. So that's the first target that hackers go to is old software because remember I talked about those doors, right, being hard. Now those doors, all the locks have been removed at that point because hackers know how to get into the vulnerabilities of the software. And Microsoft has says, listen, this software is 10 years old now at this point. It's time to move on. We're no longer putting in more resources into patching it. So get off of it and get onto the modern day software, which is Windows 10. But we still see a lot of manufacturers that are holding on to Windows 7 machines for various reasons, some of them being that they control equipment. It's expensive to update the software to get onto Windows 10, but they're putting themselves at a a lot of risk. So that's systems. And then in addition to the desktops like Windows 7, there's firewalls, keeping that up to date, keeping antivirus up to date. The trick in IT is to keep things up to date. And up-to-date could mean daily in some cases because it's a moving target. Then education is the second piece where educate yourself as an owner and then educate your employees because the weakest link in any organization is its employees when it comes to cybersecurity. And you you can have the best of everything, the best firewalls, Windows 10, everything up-to-date, but you still have somebody somewhere who wasn't savvy enough to understand not to click on something and then you've just let in whatever cybercrime is, uh, is going to happen to you from that one person who could have been educated about this is what to look for in an email or this is what to look for. This is information you never give up no matter who asks for it. There's a lot of education that can be uh, administered to uh, employees to harden the defenses of the organization. And then be proactive about it. So talking about business continuity, if something was to happen, what's the plan, right? Because at the end of the day, even if you've educated your staff and you have things up to date, things still happen, events still happen. And how are we going to mitigate that? And there's several ways of mitigating an attack. So how can a company stay one step ahead then and be proactive? What kinds of software solutions are out there to help strengthen IT systems? Well, the good news is that with cybercrime on the rise, there's also all the countermeasures and, and the good guys, if you will, to protect organizations. So there's quite a few things to keep your business one step ahead. One of the first things is proactive monitoring. So uh, one of the solutions is dark web monitoring. There's a whole world called the dark web And it's not dark. It's just, it's not searchable by Google. And inside the dark web is where criminals go to trade and sell the information that they steal. A very common example that we give our clients is, let's say you signed up for MyFitnessPal because you're going to uh, lose weight. And uh, what happens is MyFitnessPal gets hacked for whatever reason, and they're able to steal all the usernames and passwords from that site. So this happens all the time. So now your username and your password that you use for MyFitnessPal is sitting on the dark web and somebody can buy that and try to see if they can get into multiple systems. So a lot of people reuse the same usernames and passwords for you know, Amazon, for Apple, for their, their systems at work, et cetera. So what a cyber criminal will do is now that they have that username and password for MyFitnessPal, they'll load it up into a system and they'll try four or 5,000 different types of sites. And this happens within milliseconds to see if they can get into anywhere. And then from their attempts, they'll get a report back saying, okay, this, saw, this username and password, I was able to log into these locations. And then the crime begins where they're able to do whatever they want to do. So what dark web monitoring does is it's looking for when your username appears in this area of the internet. And then we get a report back saying, this is where the information was leaked from, and this is where it was found. 
So why is this important is because it tells you that your information is out there. It doesn't stop anything from happening, but now you know that you need to reset your password on all your other sites. You should be using different usernames and passwords for everything, but that's sometimes a tall order for people. But this type of monitoring is going to give them um, a report to show where things are being leaked so they can take action on it. Another proactive step that we use is we have what are called foothold monitoring. So what also happens in the, the IT world is there are certain code that will go past a antivirus system because it's not deemed as malicious in some cases, and it'll sit dormant in your machine. And then until the hacker turns on that particular piece of code, and then it starts doing something in your software. So what Footholds looks for are these types of random code entries that happen into the software to make sure that you're alerted and it can be removed. The last but most important one, I believe, is an image-based backup system. Image-based backup means every 15 minutes, the backup system is taking a snapshot of your network in its entirety, of your servers in its entirety. So it's one thing to just back up files. It's something else to back up the actual servers and the files and all the connectivity that happens between them. In the event of a, a ransomware attack, a ransomware is when all your files are encrypted and you can't access anything and, your, and your, your machine is basically unusable at that point. So this can affect a server, it can affect desktops, it can affect an entire network. The bad news is that there is no way out of that. So if you've been ransomwared, you can't get your data back unless you pay the ransom, which is, you know, could be up to a million, two million dollars. And you got to do it within a certain amount of time before they destroy the only key that's available to unlock that information that's encrypted. So what an image-based backup does is it will go back in time 15 minutes before when this event happened and restore your system back and you're off and running again. So this is really the only countermeasure you have to ransomware. And we see a lot of manufacturers don't have this very important piece because they don't know the questions to ask. So when they're asked, do you have a backup? Yes. Do you have image-based backup? And then I get a face with a question mark because they don't really know what the difference is and what that means. So it's very important that it's an image-based backup that is airtight, we call it, airlocked from your, your network so that that can't be infected as well. It's not super expensive and it's not out of reach for small business manufacturers. It's just a conversation that never seems to come about in some cases. One last thing I would put in is uh, doing a fire drill. Let's hope that everything runs smoothly and this never happens to you. But if we run a fire drill on a, on a yearly basis or a twice a year basis, you can practice, okay, what's going to happen if we get hacked or if there's a ransomware attack? We have a set of instructions that we run through. We know who to call. We know what to do. We know what the outcome is going to be. We know how to contact our clients if necessary. So that's also a very important piece that seems to be overlooked. I think one of the things is everybody seems to feel like it's not going to happen to them, right? What is the prevalence, really, of these kinds of cyber attacks? Do you have any information on that? It is rampant. You know, I get a report every morning about um, what's happened in the world in terms of cyber attacks. Now, these are the ones that are reported. So if we just you know, glean that data, the ones that are not reported is probably tenfold because smaller companies that are not forced to report, the last thing they're going to want to publicize to everybody is, hey, we got hacked and all our information was stolen. Nobody wants to talk about that. So many companies try to keep it under wraps, but it is happening on a daily basis and it's getting worse. You know, just as a, as a side note, you know, where we're seeing the biggest uh, ramp up in cyber attacks right now is in hospitals because they know that they're distracted and not paying attention and they're going to be very willing to pay the money to get back up and running again. So, I mean, something like a hospital or a large factory has something a bit more than antivirus software in place. But for those smaller businesses, that may be all that they're running. So would you say that with this extra cybersecurity network in place that manufacturers will be 100% protected from threats? 
So you're never going to be 100% protected from threats. However, you can be 98% protected from threats. And now it also comes down to an insurance strategy as well. So um, there is cyber insurance. So if an event happens where all the countermeasures have been breached and there really is no no coming back, like there's a, a major incident that's happened, the cyber insurance is there to lessen the blow and to help get the manufacturer back on their feet. But what we're also seeing now is that companies who have not put the rigor or put the investment into attempting to put cybersecurity in place are being denied their insurance because they're being seen as negligent. Right. So it, uh, it's an interesting play that's starting to happen now where an insurance company wants to see that all humanly possible efforts have been put in. And now this is really beyond anything that a company could have prevented. So I think that's an important thing for manufacturers to think about is that if there is an event that happens that requires insurance to be involved, they're going to send people in to see, did you do your best? to try to mitigate the situation. Especially now, I think the pandemic has really exposed a lot of the cracks across all areas of the business, not just cybersecurity-wise. Yeah, and in cybersecurity, it's funny. I think it's just because people don't understand the severity of it. It's sometimes seen as a luxury. We'll get to that. You know, we'll get to cybersecurity once we get to a certain place in our, in our business or once we get to a certain profit level. It's not. It's the same as locks on doors or, or security cameras or any other physical security that you wouldn't even think twice about. It's actually, it's easier to get into a network and that's where you should be putting a lot of your efforts in to protect because depending on what you're manufacturing, the catch that they get could be scientific data, it could be confidential information, it could be classified information. Manufacturers are a target for some of these things as well. So it's not just extorting for money, but there's also stealing of intellectual property, things like that. So you had mentioned earlier the hackers being able to break into machines. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that differs from breaking into the IT network? You have to have an entry point. So what hackers look for is the weakest link in the chain. If you have devices that are facing the internet, there's devices that are behind a firewall and devices that are in front of the firewall for various reasons. Websites are an example of devices that are in front of a firewall. So that's the first kind of ring of attack. So if people can get in there and what they're going to try to exploit is old software. So things that are not patched or running old versions of operating systems. Those are very easy to get into. Once they're in there, then they can transit through the firewall. You need to get into one point to get into the whole network. So it's not like the attack would just be isolated to one machine in a lot of cases. But that's trickier. The easier way is to get somebody to let you through the firewall. So the firewall is like your security guard at the front of a, of a gated community, if you will, or a condo building. So if you can trick that guy by coming in in a disguise, then you can infect the rest of the network. So how that works is by tricking, again, your employees to let them in. So it's not just about giving up a username and password for like your Amazon account, but it's also about trying to get into your actual machine so that they can then get into the rest of the network. If a machine is dumb or not connected to the internet, can somebody still hack into it? Yes, it's more difficult though. So these kinds of attacks are more targeted. So somebody inside your organization is either doing something maliciously or trying to steal something. So how they would do that is they would come along with a USB key and that USB key may have the, the software on it that's required to either gain access to a machine or disable a machine or send information back to another location. And all they got to do is plug it in. So if they can have physical access to the computer, they can hack that computer. It's a little bit less prevalent because it's harder to do, but it happens and it happens in you know, a lot of sensitive manufacturing areas where there's intellectual property to be stolen. 
what are some of the new technologies that are available to manufacturers that maybe provide a more of an affordable solution for cybersecurity if they're not able to do something totally robust? All these robust things that I was talking about are completely affordable to small manufacturers. It's all been scaled down now to the size. The manufacturers of software also understand they have a market and they're able to scale down their offerings to fit the budgets of smaller business. They usually do it on a per seat basis in a lot of cases. So if you have 5,000 seats, yeah, your bill is going to be really high. If you got 10 seats, it's more reasonable. So I don't think there's any tool out there right now that is beyond the reach of a manufacturer, a small, medium manufacturer, but they have to be prepared that there is a spend to it. And, you know, like I said earlier, that this is not a luxury. If you have to protect your facility, you wouldn't think twice about it, but you need to protect your network in the same way. So there's dark web monitoring. There's a foothold monitoring. There's very affordable image-based backup systems that are paid for on a monthly basis. So you don't have to make a very large capital spend. Uh, most of these tools, if not all at this point, are all on a monthly fee per seat. And you know, the one thing I'll add to if, if you're looking for IT help, IT is one of, the, one of the very few sort of professions that is not regulated. So I can't just show up to your office and call myself an accountant. And I can't show up to your office and call myself a plumber. I, I need to be licensed. But IT, there is no licensing body. So unfortunately, it's up to the end consumer of the product to figure out who's who. And in the world, you have everything from totally incompetent to complete masters and everything in between. And you need to sort out who's who. You need to do your homework. And you need to treat it like you're hiring an employee. You would use the same amount of time and effort to make sure you got the right person. Well, thanks for sharing your insights today, Andre. Thank you. If we have any questions or concerns, I'm, I'm happy to answer. We're happy to help out the community. Okay, great. Well, thanks again, Andre, and stay okay. safe out there. Thanks, Christina. Okay, thanks. You can find Ideological Systems, Inc. online at ideological.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-O-G-I-C-A-L.com. Or you can connect with Andre Vittorio on LinkedIn. This episode of Machine Language a manufacturing automation podcast, is brought to you by Fortinet, which provides solutions for protection, detection, and response to cyber attack from the plant floor to the cloud. Fortinet offers innovation across the entire digital infrastructure, whether in networked, application, multi-cloud, or edge environments. For more information, visit www.fortinet.com manufacturing. Fortinet, engineered for secure manufacturing. Find more episodes of Machine Language online at automationmag.com slash podcasts, or join the conversation on Twitter at AutomationMag, or on LinkedIn by searching for Manufacturing Automation. I'm Christina Urquhart, and that's it for today's episode of Machine Language. Thanks for tuning in.